I was thinking as we sang the first song and then heard that guy's group sing. See, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, it's a couple more than the group I was in years ago. Uh, how many of you have heard the story of the dramatic pause uh, story that happened back? Okay, a couple of you. I'll go ahead and give it real quick. Uh, this is something I was involved in in the early days of the school. Uh, we had a group. We had the first year we had 12 students in, in the college. That was our preliminary year. The next year we had in the low 20s, I think it was, um, something like that. And I came in the second full official year, a third year, if you conclude the preliminary year of our college as we were getting going. And um, it was Dr. Jim had just come on board as vice president. It was an exciting time. And I remember one of the students that had traveled, there was a men's group. They didn't put together a recording, but this men's group had traveled, I think, the summer before. One of the students was not able to return. And he was a baritone, and I'm a baritone, and they needed the group to sing in the service. And I literally was a freshman. This is before the school was just getting going. So I got placed in the group, and uh, it, uh, thankfully he and I were about the same size. His outfit uh, uh, worked well f for, for, for me, and so I was able to match the group and be up there. And this is exciting. I'm thinking, man, you know. Uh, by the way, this is not how we operate now, but uh, then we had to. But, um, I'm, a, I'm not even a student yet, really, barely, and getting going, hadn't taken the class yet, and I'm up there with the ensemble, you know. And so I was standing up there. This is exciting. This is great. So we were singing the follow-on medley, if you've heard that one before, and, and so we get up to sing. Now, <clears throat> uh, it was an interesting group of guys I was with, uh, quite, quite the characters, and they were great, um, uh, wonderful guys, and they sang well, but they were... Um, and if you can just imagine it at this moment, our song, our church's music director at the time, he, he was the pianist for, for the team. Now, he led songs in the service, and then, um, but, and we had another pianist that, that we used at the time, uh, but he wasn't the, the pianist for the ensemble. So what ha ha happened was when the song was finished and, uh, for the congregation, we came up in what would be a typical group special slot on Sunday night. Uh, he ran down to the piano to play. Well... Little did we know in the group, but the music that he needed was not on the piano. And he wasn't one of those kind that could just sit there and do the play-by-ear thing, uh, just make it happen. You know, he had played it many times that summer. But he decided to go ahead and plunge in anyway. So the introduction for the verse happens, the first verse, and honestly, it was fine. I mean, it was, didn't quite sound right, but I thought, you know, look, he just ran over there. You know, he sat down, he's probably breathing hard, you know, and he's... He's getting going, he's, you know, he's distracted. So we start singing, you know, follow on. And uh, it was good, first verse, and then everything just stopped. The piano stopped in the, the interlude. The guys, you know, we weren't singing, so the piano stopped, so we're just standing there. Now, the personality of our music director was the type that he would, if something like that happened, he would freeze, literally just freeze. You know, some of us get hyperactive in those moments or whatever. He just froze, and he just, literally, I didn't see it. Uh, but uh, I was told that he just was sitting there staring at the piano. Uh, he was very good. Again, he was a very good musician, but his personality was such that he just froze. So he's sitting there on the piano bench just staring at the, at the, the piano. And our other pianist is just all of a sudden getting up. He's realizing what's going on, and he's trying to find the, the notebook somewhere. You know, where's this notebook, this folder? It's got to be in here somewhere. And so what you have going on is this group of guys, six of us, I think, maybe eight, we're standing up there behind the pulpit and just standing there. <laughs> full, full crowd in the auditorium, just standing there. It's a big night, opening night for the college. Big, this is so important. I mean, just 
so important. I'll never forget it. If you've sung in groups, you know a lot of times what will happen is, especially in a church setting, you get up to sing, and you'll have a fair amount of people looking down, right, for whatever reason. They're just distracted. Well, everybody's watching at this point, you know. All, just funny, the heads just start popping up everywhere. And I'm just standing there. I'm thinking, glorious. This is my first time to be up here with this group, and we look all look like idiots. So we're standing there, and we're standing there, and we're standing there. And I've seen the guy on, on the right, if you knew Brian Hoffman. Uh, he's on, on the right. He's standing there, and he's doing this a few times, trying to figure out what's going on. There was a solo that was supposed to happen next by, a, by the bass, and uh, it would have been anywhere with Jesus I could safely go. I'm so glad he didn't even start the a cappella. He was, he was going to start into it. Uh, that would have been, it would have been one of those moments that would have been tittery funny because, you know, anywhere with Jesus, said, yeah, you're really going out there without the piano on this part. It's not an acapella type thing. And uh, we're standing there and we're standing there. And I'm not exaggerating. This pause was forever. And now in those moments, they'll feel like forever. The clock minutes were moving. That's how long this was. Um, at least five minutes. Um, I can remember my mom was in the lobby, and she was realizing something not good's happening up there. She's in the middle door. So she's looking at a group. You can just imagine. <laughs> you know, and so they got that going on back there. She's trying to keep us, you know, not, not you know, losing our cool. And, and uh, it's just, I mean, it's just literally we're just standing there. I mean, it was horrifying. And, you know, the pan is just like this, frozen. And then you got the other pianist running around. He finally finds the book. He puts it up, to, up there, and guess what we do? We restart it again and do it from the beginning. Um, I'll never forget. There was tension in the air for that point. Pastor was dying. I'll, I'll never forget. It. I could just tell he was dying. He, you know, I love his uh, passion to do things quality and right. That's why we enjoy so much of what we do here. But uh, he was dying. Well, Dr. Jim was preaching that night. And um, I'm sure his mind was whirling about how to recover this moment. Because it was, it, was, it was bad. It was, it was low level. The whole thing, it just was bad. And uh, it just, because it was... Like we're just, I mean, can you imagine a group in our church standing there for seven minutes, five, seven minutes, doing nothing, just staring? And, just, and everybody's just not knowing what to do. The you know, pastor didn't know what to do, and nobody knew what to do, just because it was just, it was crazy. Well, Dr. Jim gets up and says, well, as we have been developing our college, I want you to know that our speech department has come up with a brand new feature, and we've debuted it tonight. It's called The Art of the Dramatic Pause. <laughs> oh, man. And that. Uh, the place just erupted, and it just kind of, <sighs> it, it was the elephant in the room. We all need to get past it, you know. It was one of those moments, and it just, it was gone. So uh, thank the Lord for Dr. Jim. <laughs> that was, it's just, oh, man. So that was a very humbling way of being a part of uh, getting into ensemble. And then I stuck my foot in my mouth. I don't know, well, almost as bad as Julia Brooks um, last summer. But I did say, or summer ago, I did say, uh, one time we were at a camp with kids, and you might have heard this, but I was with um, Nate. I never met Nathan Dietrich before, never. We were at this camp in the middle of Kansas, and they were not ready for us, even though they knew we were coming. And it was hot, and, you know, Dr. Shaw and I slept in this room, two separate beds, but there was, there was no blankets or pillows or sheets, and it's hot. And uh, I hear them, you know, throughout the night spraying for the bugs it's, and smacking the bugs, and I'm just laying there going, are we going to get through this night? Well... We are already out of it getting there, and we're doing a Reader's Theater. And um, I don't know what it was, but Thomas Overmiller just decided to, do, to, to say the line I was supposed to say. Just, he just said it. And we're all standing there, you know, like, 
like this. It was one of those moments. It wasn't a long pause. And then I said something I regret to this day. I said, he took my line. <laughs> when I said that, that moment, I literally said, now, Lord, would you just swallow me up right now? <laughs> I am done with this. This is terrible. So anyway, good, good moment. So it's amazing ensemble stories that come when you get going, but I will stop. That is not the purpose for this morning, but... Uh, anyway, I'm thankful for BCM. I just, you know what really encourages me as I look at you is to realize that 20 years later, God, I think, I am, I'm actually, I'll be honest, it was so exciting to be in the early days and God did so much and we were learning and growing, but I would love to be in school right now. Uh, I think there's something very special about what God's taught all of us in leadership about how to grow or how we've grown in the school uh, has grown spiritually and just even the ways you're being challenged in your character and your life. And uh, I sure would, would uh, love to be in the school now as a student, but I'm so glad I'm still around and be able to see what God's doing in your life. So fun memories, but also exciting days ahead too, right? And uh, I'm thankful for that. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know, there's a, a danger you know this, but about living in a society like we do, a country like we do that's so blessed materially, that is that we have many, many different things that can cause us to be distracted in our lives. We can be spiritually distracted. And I wanted to just give you really a very practical verse this morning. I have given this challenge before to different groups, and God really put it on my heart, especially before we hit a couple break times, to just cause you to wrestle with really how you personally use your time and how you look at different aspects of your life. I, I know in my own life, just in studying for, for this again and asking God's help to make this fresh in, in my own heart, man, I've been convicted. <laughs> and uh, it's something you never can get past when it comes to just how God is wanting to use your life and how he's wanting you to use your time. I think about how Generation Z, which is just really coming into college age now, and, and that this is just Generation Z technology use. And I'm just saying this to help you understand what your generation and millennial generation is facing. Uh, generation Z spends an average of three hours and 38 minutes just on smartphones every day, just on the smartphone. It's about 50 minutes longer than the average user. The top activities of a Generation Z person is 81% text messaging, um, downloading apps is a big one, just 60%, Brain, playing pre-installed games, um, accessing websites, 53%, live video calling, 46%. But this is an unbelievable fact. 45% of Generation Z in, in the U.S. receive a mobile service plan between the ages of 10 and 12. Now, most of you, that wasn't even in the equation. Some of you might have been. 72% um, of Generation Z have access to all mobile wireless, wireless service, including voice, messaging, and data. A couple other interesting things. Uh, this is interesting. 66% of Generation Z owns iPhones. 81 expect their next phones to be that. <laughs> uh, so that's a big thing. 91% um, of them have their devices in, in bed at night. 40% of Generation Z say working, working Wi-Fi is more important to them than a working bathroom. That's unbelievable. 32% uh, of Generation Z would rather go three days without a shower than go a week without their phone. 
Um, Generation Z in the U.S. are most likely to receive gaming devices and TVs at ages four to seven. Four to seven, think how young that is. 66% of Generation Z lists gaming as their main hobby. That's a, that's a high percentage. 92% of Generation Z college students have access to Netflix. 38% of Generation Z consume daily video via Netflix. That's college students. Um, a quarter of Generation Z say that Snapchat is essential for their relationships. Um, then there's a lot of other things that could be mentioned and won't go through. But th doesn't that kind of sober you a little bit? about? I, I think about where we're going to be in ju just a few years as a nation. It's kind of scary in one sense when you think about just the, the young people and how they're being raised. But even though you may not have that extreme in your life and you may not have been raised in that kind of environment, you and I all know the temptations though still, right? To be consumed with not just technology, you know, that would be a big thing, but be consumed with things that aren't necessarily in and of themselves wrong, but can be very, very hurtful if we don't look at them from a biblical perspective. So I want to look at just a simple challenge here today of Christian liberty through biblical lenses. All right, and let's look at just one major verse here, and then we'll, we'll reference another, a few other scriptures. Right here in the middle of this section in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is dealing, first of all, with not going to law with one another. Remember, the Corinthian church was a very needy church, carnal church. Paul had to deal with a lot of things. Uh, the chapter before, he's dealing with church discipline and what would cause church discipline in a church. He's dealing with them. He's telling them to strongly deal with sin, do it biblically, and then... We find here, don't go to law with one another. And then we find a transition beginning to happen toward Paul dealing with, uh, with physical relationship and marriage and just the, um, how that's proper, but how license in that area and, and the immorality is, is, so, is so wrong. And right here in this section, he says in verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, very likely this phrase, all things are lawful unto me, all things are lawful for me, was really a statement that he would have heard from the people there in Corinth trying to defend their actions and, and how, how they lived. Remember, immorality and uh, licentiousness and all that was even considered to be part of worship to their pagan deities. And so immorality was very common uh, just throughout the culture. That was just normal. That was part of, that wasn't just something you did it in, in, uh, in secret, it was actually openly part of what they did, even what they call in their worshiping their gods. And so the Christian people were brought up in this kind of a, a culture. That's kind of like ours too, isn't it? You know, very open now in, in so many ways, very, very much so. And so, he's, and so we find here in verse 12, Paul saying, look, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. And as we look at our lives and the choices that we make every day, I, I want to challenge you with simple, three simple things. First of all, are your choices that you make daily, could they be considered sinful? Or maybe they're not things that are sinful, but are they building up your life or are they enslaving you? So the first thing I want us to see is, are my choices that I make daily lawful? Now the point is, he's saying that they're, you know, the Corinthians are like, all things are lawful. All right, well, let's just stop, step back for a minute and think about what things are truly lawful and what things are sinful. Remember, if something's lawful, it's in harmony with the law. And what's the law? Well, the law is the word of God. God's word is there for us. So anything that does not, is not in harmony with that is violating the law of God and is not lawful. So 
it's interesting here, right in this section, verses 9 through 11, right before this verse, Paul is contrasting for them what they used to be. Look what verse 9 says. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that used to characterize you, that's not you any, anymore. Okay? That's not to be the way you live, because you are washed, you're sanctified. This is who you are in Jesus Christ. And so he contrasts what they could have been and what they were and what they have now, what they are now to have become. So Christian liberty is not a license to sin, okay? And by the way, we do have liberty in Christ. The Bible says we're to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Romans chapter 5 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but... And it says, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So I'd like for us to wrestle with a few things practically here today. And I'm just going to give a few points that uh, just even practical applications when it comes to our lives and things that we might even do more, obviously, during a break time. During... The time you're here at school, there are very helpful regulations put in your life with regards to media, all right? And if you're following that, not all the time does that happen, but when you're following that, you're protected, you're helped. Uh, doesn't mean you're still um, not necessarily tempted by sin and can't access it, but there's a lot of things that are put in place that really are helped to you. But when you step away from here over break, there's, there's going to be a lot more potential for you to be freer and use your time in a certain way that could potentially be harmful. And so when we think about things like this, when we think of technology, let me ask you a question. Is having a TV wrong? <laughs> Not a trick question. Is the TV itself an evil thing? No. Okay, having a television is not, it's not, it's not for forbidden, it's not unbiblical for you to have one or even to watch it. I'm going to get there, don't worry, okay. Is it is it wrong to use the internet? No, we do it every day. We have Wi-Fi in this building. You can use the internet. Is it wrong to have friends? Of course not. The Bible actually commends the right kind of friends. How about things like eating or how about other things, sleeping even, okay? Uh, and uh, even things like um, another, another media, media thing that stands out to me would be video gaming. All right, let, 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 let's just apply some, some of these categories to, the, to, to, to Scripture. Let's think of media. Let's think of television. Some of you are going to be environments where the TV runs more, right? Okay? And you're even going to be environments where maybe there's a football game. I'm not, honestly, Bears and Lions at 11.30 or 11 o'clock, whatever it is, on, uh, on Thursday is going to be just a waste of time. So don't even, don't even bother. Uh, that's, uh, and I'm a Bears fan. They're horrible. Uh, both those teams are terrible this year. So don't even bother. Okay, that, that'll be a waste of time. I'm not sure who's later. Uh, but the point is, but let's say you're watching football on, the, on that day. Okay? Football in and of itself, and Maybe, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to see anything, probably not. But football in and of itself is not wrong. But are there things that surround a football game that could be? Okay. So let's just think about this. Job 31, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Psalm 101, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. Ephesians 5, but fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking. 
nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Ephesians 5, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. All right, this is not, by the way, just from television. Years ago, television would have been the main channel. Um, uh, not trying to give a pun here, but the main way that you would have seen it, okay? Uh, now it's, it's your cell phone, okay? That's the main way you'd see a lot of this stuff. But television is still a real temptation. Some of you are going to be in family environments where your parents run the TV more regularly. Fact is, as God has been exercising, and especially as you've been away from media a lot, and you go home or go to somebody else's home, and they might have it on, your conscience is going to be a, a lot more sensitive, I would trust walking into that environment. What are you going to do? But that doesn't mean you can't sit there if it's something that's on as wholesome. Let me just say, most of what's on television today is not appropriate. Even the news. I mean, most anchors are, are not dressed well. Okay, I'm not trying to be funny about it. But the fact is, is it's a today, it's a day today when we're very, it's very loose um, uh, when it comes to morals. And so you have to be very careful. God, right now, is what I'm doing pleasing to you? Is it violating your word at all? You have, to, you have to wrestle with that. So don't have a guilty conscience if you have a television, but you should have one if you're watching things that violate clear biblical standards. Make sense? So what's happened is in many of your lives, you've gotten things right with God. You've gotten help and so on. You're going to walk into break, and you're going to find some of the same temptations that you've had in the past sitting right there for you. What are you going to do? Well, the Bible says flee. <laughs> Get away from them. You know, it's, it's okay to ask your parents or somebody you're with, especially if they're turning on something that in and of itself just as, as a whole is wrong. Say, may, may, may I please slip away? I just can't. I can't watch this. That's okay. In fact, that's the thing you have to do. You cannot get yourself in a situation that would be displeasing to God. I'll always handle it in a way that's godly and kind, but be careful. Is it wrong to use even something simple like being on the, on the Internet? Absolutely not. We need it today in so many ways What to function. But the, there's so many things beyond uh, what I was talking about in the moral arena. But how, how about this? A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Do you think a lot of that happens through social media? It does. But by the way, Laurel will have to give you discernment about what you do when you walk from these doors as a student. But thank God that you're not in the middle of that scene right now. And don't chafe against that. I'm telling you right now, I just, I see it so much. Um, I'm not even talking about the things that are maybe questionable or not. I'm talking about just, did you know that people access wicked things more through social media than by any other venue? I'm talking about just clear anti-God content and, and images and so on and so forth. Now, how, how about companionship? I want you to think about this one. Having good friends is wonderful. In fact, the Bible says, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. And you know what I love? I see when some of you guys come into school, you connect with guys that will challenge you spiritually, and I see you grow quickly. That's awesome. God wants that. But the Bible says that the companion of fools shall be destroyed. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of righteous men shameth his father. So, some of you have friends back home that are not spiritually in good shape. You know what that means? You shouldn't hang out with them like buddies. Your relationship needs to be that which would spiritually challenge them. But you, you will be the one affected, not them, if you just hang out with them and, and on an equal level. There needs to be a sense of, of love and kindness, but let me just say that the wrong kind of friendship can even overbreak, just weaken you a bit spiritually and hurt you. Um, even things like uh, 
maybe some of you have weakness with video games. I would say that's probably a bigger weakness than I, I even know. I don't know you guys that well when it comes to that kind of thing, but I think the same uh, verses apply when it comes to the TV, when it comes to just pure. I'm talking about right now, I'm only speaking about what's lawful and what's not. I'm not saying is it right or wrong to play a video game. I'm, I'm just talking about what's the content, okay? You have to look honestly. Ephesians 5, if you want a list of what's to help you know if what you're doing is okay or not, just look at Ephesians chapter 5. Not once named among you. And that eliminates a lot of things, okay? Um, also time, redeeming the time. That's a whole other issue we can talk about. We'll talk about it in a minute. And then I know you're going to shoot me on this one, but even sleep. You said, Pastor Van, I need sleep. You know what? You need to get the right amount of rest. In fact, I'm all about it. That's something I probably lack. But the Bible also talks about being slothful. And you can sometimes go into a break time and say, I need my rest. It gets so focused on yourself that you can actually, it can turn into unbiblical license where you are actually resting and sleeping so much that you're being lazy. And then you find yourself open to temptation. You guys know what I'm talking about on that one? Okay. The Bible says, as the door turneth upon his hinges. I, I love this verse. So doth the slothful upon his bed. That's practical. You know, when you're starting to stir and you're turning, you know, unless you're sick or something's wrong or whatever, then just get up. You know, don't, don't just keep the thing dragging out for hours and hours and hours. By the way, most of you are going home to family or people that need you to step up and be a blessing to them. Do that. Don't live for yourself. You say, but I'm so tired in school, so hard. Yeah. It might be a challenge. Some of you have sacrificed, by the way. I don't minimize that. Beyond school, you've been a huge blessing here. But you know what? The Bible says that God will give strength to you if you rest in him, and he'll give you wisdom. Sometimes you need to say, okay, I'm going to set this time aside. A lot of times it's because you're not going to bed early enough, isn't it? Okay, even in a, in a vacation setting, you need, you need to have discipline that way. Okay, I'm just trying to be practical here. But the Bible says, love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Now, right now, it's not your problem. But during a break, it could actually go to the reverse, and then you could become selfish in your own life, and it would not be right. So you don't need to live un under pressure when I make these points. All, all you need to say is, God, is what I'm doing right now is pleasing to you. Does it violate your word at all? I want to follow you. And just be holy in, with what God wants. So is what I'm doing violating God's word? See, they're like, all things are lawful. Well, hold on. Not everything is. Now, in this context, even physical relationship and marriage is. It's a wonderful thing. But outside of the bounds of what God has, it's wrong. It's sin. See that? Okay, now he says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Also, you find in 1 Corinthians 10, um, it says, uh, it talks about in the same context, the idea, well, let's just look at that, verse 23. It says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So the idea of something being expedient is for it to be helpful or to be profitable. The idea of edification is to promote growth in your own spiritual life, in Christian grace, in, in walking with God, and so on and so forth. So if it's, is it building you up? Is it edifying you? Is it helpful? Is it profitable? Okay. So why are you here? Okay, so when we think of helpful and profitable, why are you here as a believer? Anybody tell me? Why are you here? To please God, right? Number one, to glorify God. Demonstrated through what? Your obedience, filling the Great Commission, that's why you're here. You're not here for any other reason. No believer is here for any other reason than to please their God, to walk with him, and to fulfill his word and, and, and glorify him by the Great Commission being fulfilled. That's why we're here. Honestly, when God saved us, he might as well have taken us to heaven if we didn't have it. There's no other reason to live than to please him that, that, that way and to walk with him in an intimate way. So is what I'm doing then right now 
helpful and profitable toward that direction. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that you can't enjoy recreation. God gives us all things freely to enjoy. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I, just want, I want you to be honest, though. You know, many times we kind of push things aside and excuse, don't we, a little bit? We're, we're good at rationalizing. So I want you just to think about it. An Olympic athlete will do everything they can to achieve and to strive for the mastery. Their, their goal is to get the gold medal. And so whatever it takes, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. This is, by the way, if you ever want a, a section of Scripture about why it's important to have godly biblical character, this is one. Because you and I have a goal, and it's not corruptible, it's incorruptible. It's a crown that we're striving for. And he says, Paul says, I therefore shall run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that be at the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Let me just tell you guys, especially, it is coming out daily. Daily. There are castaways who are preachers. The moral scandals in our nation are sick, the amount of them. I understand the temptations. I'm a human being. I'm a man. But I'm telling you, there's victory in Christ. In the decisions you make right now, right now in your character, the decisions you and I make right now in our lives to walk with God or not walk with God, make that our priority, are going to be the defining thing whether or not we're going to be a castaway or we're going to be able to finish well like Paul did. Okay, It's not a small matter. You may think some of my applications are a little weird or extreme, but let me just tell you, I'm just trying to help you think. Okay, Everybody's got to come to the biblical conclusion in their own life, especially on areas that are, are um, not necessarily sinful or not. But you have to say, what really am I living for? That's where you got to start. Instead of saying, is this right or wrong? What am I living for? Is this really accomplishing, helping me in that? Okay? So I think about this. This is kind of crazy. But Olympic swimmers will do everything, <laughs> even the point of, I'm not trying to be crude, but shaving off every hair on their body to not have any obstacles that will hold them back from a gold medal prize. I mean, everything they can do. Okay, now it's not about us, you know, doing everything we can do, but it's the whole idea is it's full yieldedness to God. God, whatever you want, I'm surrendered. How do you want me to use this day today? I'm not living for myself today. And, you know, sometimes God gives us some really fun things, special things, enjoyable things, especially over, over break. But is this, is this helping me? Am I edified? Am I growing? Am I being built up? Is this helpful? Is this moving me forward? Hebrews 12, wherefore seeing we are also encompassed about so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Think of Jim Elliott. We use, you know, we'll quote him a lot. But he was a man who, by the way, as God works in your heart, I've not done this like I should, and I challenge you to do it. I need to do it more. Take a diary of what God's doing. You know, obviously the journal is important, but other things. To write down, you know, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. All right? Now, let's think about some of the categories I, I mentioned earlier. With, I was in, the, in a, mo a moment ago was talking about sinful choices. Now let's just think about, is this edifying or helpful? So, media. I'm just going to use that in a lump thing. You know, internet, your phone, gaming, whatever. Okay, let's just think about this practically. When it comes to, is this helpful, is this profitable? Is staying up late playing a video game better or maybe going to bed at a reasonable time so you can get up in the morning and spend time with God? You know, you stay up till midnight, 1, 2 o'clock. And let's say it's just Madden's football. And I, I mean, honestly, I have not played a video game 
in 15 years. I don't even know what's out there. Okay, you say you're missing out, Pastor. No, I don't think I am, actually. I'm really not. Because you know what? If I started, I would be a gamer. I know my week in sports. I don't think the other stuff may Because I remember one time I was at Camp Kobiak years ago. My dad was speaking there. I was just an elementary boy. And this kid had, uh, was it Mario or I don't know? And uh, the camp director's kid did. And so I'm there. My dad didn't even know what was going on. He was over preaching. I'm at this place. And it was the most basic of games, you know. And I couldn't even, I was just, I was terrible at it. So I felt like an idiot. So I said, I'm not going to fool with it. Um, then didn't care to. But if I had the ability to play sport games, then I would get into it. You know, I've never played, I've never used Wii before. I've never done it. But I can only imagine, I can just see myself, you know, playing baseball. Uh, it'd be great, okay? But I've actually, st- not to say I will never touch it. If somebody's, I'm at somebody's place and they have something, I would probably do a few minutes of it. But I'm so glad it's not part of my life because I would, I would be consumed by it. You know, you, you get, your discernment level goes out the window when you get into that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because you're just, you, it's just, it's, it's, it, well, we know what it does. It turns on dopamine or whatever, all that explanation with regards to how our mind works, but it does. And it feeds something that ultimately is addictive. So what we'll do is when we're not in the dorm and the guys aren't watching us and we're at home, we may be on something totally tame and okay, but we, we may play a game or do something and stay really, really late. I'm talking about video game or do some type of technology. And then we get up and we sleep in really late, and then we get up and the family's willing to do something. We don't spend time with God. You think it's a problem? See? Spending purposeless time online when you should be getting your schoolwork done. Even here you could be. You know, it might be okay things. You still could be not doing something that's purposeful. I'm just trying to challenge you with that. Some of you could actually spend more time in souling if you would do less other things, technology or whatever, more time in prayer with the Lord. Just, just enjoy the things that God's given to you to see fruitfulness. How about even areas like finances? This is a real weakness for a lot of folks and something that God's continuing to grow me in. But a lot of times we forget that the small things that we buy in time add up to a lot. And in school, especially while you are trying to save and you know, you're having to pay a school, but let, 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 let me challenge you, and I don't even want to get too specific here because I don't want anybody to be insecure, but I want you just to stop and think about the things that you buy. Just make sure that you're thinking through the big picture and that you're being careful. Does that make sense? Is this really profitable? Is this right? Is this, is this, is this going to be helpful? Not that, again, you can't enjoy things periodically and so on, but you need to have a budget. You need to have a plan in mind, not just blow money away, because it's, it's those few things in time that can really add up. Uh, the big things, too, all right? Some of you need to not worry about what phone you have, and you just need to get your school bill paid. You don't need to worry that you don't have, you know, you have an, um, an old computer and it looks kind of junky compared to some of the other students. And, you, you know, even in a wonderful place like this, there, could, there can be that pressure. You know what God's wanting you to do? He's wanting you to say, God, would me right now buying this thing, would this be expedient for me? Would this really be helpful or profitable or would actually me not being in debt and me being in a better place be better? Well, I think the answer is clear on some things like that. Re- 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 even relationships. You know, I have found even a wonderful place like BCM, even in my era when I was here, I would find groups get together and talking together, and it would go beyond just good, wholesome time, and it would get to the point where they were, were doing poorly in school, and they really, their grades you know, weren't good. They were, so they're hanging out. I don't see this, I guess maybe I'm not around as much, but I don't see as much of that kind of thing now, but I'm sure it's still a temptation, where it's easier to chat with a friend for a long period of time and not get what you're supposed to get done. 
Is it good to have a wholesome conversation with somebody and challenge them? Yes. Even have a good time? Oh, yes. But just think the big picture and make sure that you're not out of balance with what God's wanting you to do right now. Does that make sense? You're here to, to be trained and to grow. Um, any relationship that's not drawing you to a closer walk with God is not expedient or edifying. If you find yourself distant toward authorities because of a relationship, if you find yourself pulling away from your parents because of a relationship, something's out of line. Uh, even courtship, by the way. I've seen courtships go both ways. I've seen young people. This is one thing my wife and I were very, very strong about. When, In fact, when we got engaged, um, we wrote a covenant to both of our parents, and basically it was three things. That Number one, obviously, that we would not touch each other at all until marriage. Number two, we... Um, the two main things was that, and then the second one was that we were still under our parents, and we wanted our relationship to grow us closer to them, not in a weird way, because we need to get closer. But I'm just saying, we didn't want to all of a sudden become this exclusive thing, and my, our parents not understand, because by the way, until you're married, you're still under your parents, okay? So we were very, very strong right out of the gate, which assured our parents big time. I'll never for, for forget just the encouragement. They, they knew that was our heart. But just to see us put a pledge down and sign it and say, this is something we've done. Nothing they, they didn't even, that wasn't even their idea. It was our idea. But I remember the, just the, the freedom in that. Hey, look, our relationship, yeah, we're, we're, gonna, we're planning to grow it because we're going to be getting married. But we're planning to get closer to you guys too because this whole thing is about God and his working and us growing spiritually. And we need your guidance. And we're not out of the home yet. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes courtships get unusually exclusive to the point where parents and it's just, it, it's not healthy. Or you see spiritually, they go down. You're thinking, wait a second, that's not supposed to be that way. And not even saying they're the wrong ones for each other, but they're not moving forward. Well, something's, something's not right there in, in how you're walking with the Lord. So it's really important that your relationships make sure that they are built, that you're being built up spiritually and that it's helpful and profitable. Now, real quickly here, the last thing it says in verse 12, it says, I will not be brought unto the power of any. Are my choices enslaving me? Well, what does it mean to be enslaved? Well, a lot of times all we can think about is drug and alcohol, drugs and alcohol, and we think of somebody, I remember him being in D.C. last March. Oh, wow. D.C., by the way. Well, we won't get on that uh, subject right now. It's crazy going, stuff going on. But when I was in D.C., you see the glitz and glamour of the capital of the United States, and there's some unbelievable wealth and, and beauty in, D, D, in, in Washington, D.C., unbelievable. And then I'm walking with my sons going from, I don't know why I did this. I walked in dress shoes from the Capitol building all the way down the Washington Monument, all the way over to the White House, all the way over to a hotel. Anyway, seven miles uh, with my boys. Anyway, I won't tell you how that went, but it was, it was okay. It could have been better. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but anyway, we had a good time. It was, it was an adventure. But anyway, the point is this. I remember walking by all of a sudden. I see this lady, and her eyes are just bulging out, and she clearly just, I don't know all that she had done, but she had just destroyed her body. And we could kind of focused on the extremes of that. But the fact is that there's a lot of subtle ways that Satan uses to trip you guys up and trip me up with being enslaved by things. Ephesians 6 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or deceits of the devil. You know, Satan's clever. He comes with the little things that don't really seem like a big deal. And they kind of, after a while, we find ourselves enslaved to him. Remember when Satan tempted Christ, he didn't tempt him with major simple things, if you know what I mean. Food. Hey, prove, prove that you're God. Prove that you're um, overall. Well, those are seemingly legitimate things that he 
challenged him with, but obviously if he had given in to Satan at all, it would have been sin. Okay, but he's very, very wily, very deceitful. So here's just a couple questions, or several questions that you can ask in your own life to see if you're enslaved by something. Do I have to do it every day? If you did not have your phone today, and it didn't literally, you know, I'm talking about like if there wasn't an urgent reason why you would need it, and nobody really had to get a hold, hold of you, would you be able to survive without it? Now, those of you with flip phones say, yeah, you know, get real spiritual, you know. Okay, fine. I'm glad, actually, I'm glad you do have a flip phone. Whenever somebody apologizes me for a flip phone, I actually congratulate them. I really do. Because I wish I had one, to be honest. Okay? Um, because it's just it's amazing how this, uh, by the way, have you guys seen the new, if you have an iPhone, the, how it tracks what, what you do now? How many times you pick it up? Uh, I would encourage you, plot settings for find where that is, and just look at how many times you pick your phone up. Now, I know when you're at school, it's less during the hour, but no, just look in the evening. Just see how many times you pick it up and how many times you text and how many times you check email and how many times you do this or that. Just, just look at it. Face the facts, okay? It's amazing. Sometimes they go, ooh, and then it tells you how many hours you were on it. It's very helpful, very helpful, um, very convicting. When I'm down and, and discouraged, do I use this as an escape? Do I always seem to go farther than I intended to go with it? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about you know, going farther into looking at something evil or listening to something. I'm talking about just something that may not, in and of itself not be wrong, but it's wasting my time. You see what I'm saying? Do I go farther with it than I intended to? Is that something I do? Can I go without it? Do I come away from this feeling encouraged in my relationship with the Lord? And How much time, energy, and even money do I spend on this thing compared to my relationship with the Lord and fulfilling His calling? Jim Berg said, you can tell how hard you're leaning on something by how hard you fall when it's taken away. Being enslaved is the opposite of being spirit-filled. Remember where the spirit of Lord is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Some of you, by the some of the applications I've made, you've actually got a little frustrated in your spirit with me because you don't even want to think about it. And let me just say that you're not living in liberty, then that means you're bound. Because when you're walking with, with, with God, you're willing to do anything. And it's not even my, I don't want my application or any of my points to be that which drives you. I really want you to biblically come to the conclusions that are right yourself in your own life, but let me just say that it's much better to be filled with, with the Holy Spirit than to be controlled by something else, okay? That's liberty. Liberty, liberty is living without bondage. Now, it's interesting, even things like social media, which Christians a lot of times will vehemently, um, not be, what's the right word, they'll, they'll, they'll really protest that it, it, it's okay. Uh, many times people in the world are quicker than us at recognizing the addiction of things like that, okay? And so we have to be very careful that we are stepping back and being honest about the danger of things and living in the liberty that Christ has given to us and uh, following his will. So being enslaved or willingly putting yourself under the power of something can even lead to the point of sinful living like it's described here. You know, you don't want your life to be described by 1 Corinthians 6, 13 and on, do you? The negative side of it? No way. I hope not. All right? So it starts with, hey, is this expedient? Is this helpful? Is this edifying? Is this building me up? Am I enslaved by it at all? And if you are, let me encourage you to be honest with God, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And remember James 4 says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. 
And I just wanted to, the Lord put it on my heart as you're heading into Thanksgiving next week and then Christmas break soon, that uh, outside of the, the helpful guidance of our school, that you would not fall or stumble or throw away your time because you are living for self and not making wise decisions. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just pray right now.